0: If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, the verses that we're going to be looking at are on the inside cover of your bulletin, and there's also a place there to take notes. We're going to be reading portions of Matthew 2, verses 1 through 11. So friends, listen. This is God's Word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Friends, this is God's word. So there's one thing that I want you to see today. One thing that I want you to get on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we've we've lit the Magi candle, um, the the bottom line for this message um, is, is this. The wise men show up because one man brought his faith to work. Okay? The wise men show up because one man brought his faith to work. I'm going to unpack all of this for you as we zoom in and talk about the wise men or the magi today. Today we're going to see how Christmas makes us what we call city positive. Okay, city positive, it's a technical term here at Harbor City Church. It's one of our four values. Um, Being city positive, it means celebrating what's good in the city and seeking to heal what's bad. Okay, one specific area of being city positive is in the workplace it's being work positive positive. and do you know do you know that Christmas can change the way that you think about work I was talking to somebody this week and I invited them to church today and uh, she said oh what are you preaching on and I was so excited I told her oh man I'm going to be preaching about work and how Christmas changes the way that we work and uh, so she had these sunglasses on you know they're like really big but even though she was wearing these monstrously huge sunglasses, I could see the roll of her eyes and the look of scoffing on her face when I said the word work. And she looked at me, and I'm like, what? What did I do? Like, do... And she's like, you're talking about work? And it just hit me. like She felt like I worked so hard all week, and now I have to come to church and hear about work? She's, and it basically, it was like all of her body language and even her words just shouted one word to me, and it was lame. <laughs> that was her evaluation of my invitation. You know. So, um, and it was crazy because I was so excited, and she thought everything I was going to have to say was absolutely and totally and completely irrelevant, tedious, burdensome. Well, so then, then I explained to her how Christmas changes work, and then she totally got into it. And then she said, yeah, maybe I'll listen to it online. Ah, <laughs> oh, bummer, next time, next time. So, but here's the question for us. What does Christmas have to do with work, right? How does Christmas affect what you do for 40, 50, 60 hours a week in the workplace? The answer to this question is to ask the magi. We need to ask the magi. Okay, now who were they? Who were the Magi? Well, they were this group, as we've kind of already read and hinted at in the Advent reading, um, they were a group of powerful royal advisors from the East. Okay, they were astronomers and dream interpreters, the scholars tell us. Um, And they were also, they themselves were scholars of ancient wisdom literature. And so at the time of the first Christmas, they were from Persia. Okay, Persia was ruling in the East, and they would have traveled 800 miles to get to Bethlehem, okay? They would have traveled 800 miles. So if you were going to leave today after church and travel 800 miles, if you were to go north, remember, without a car, maybe camels, maybe horses. They actually say that the Parthians actually rode horses, not camels. So another one of those ways that our nativity scene has failed us. Um, but... Uh, 800 miles going north, if you got to San Francisco, you're at about 500, okay? The 800-mile mark is at about the California-Oregon border, all right? So we're talking a long way. They would have traveled 800 miles to get to Bethlehem. Now, they say it would take probably roughly two to three months to make this trek. Um, And we don't know how many there were. You know, it's tradition and sort of like stylistic presentation of ideas that tell us there were three. Um, But it's likely that given their high ranking within the government, they would have traveled with a well-armed entourage. Okay, so they wouldn't have been traveling by themselves, they would have been traveling um, armed and relatively dangerous because we actually see in Matthew 2 verse 3 that when they show up and they address Herod, they tell him about this king, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, you have these folks that come from Persia, these um, royal advisors, and and they come and they actually set Jerusalem, I mean, the capital city of, of Israel at the time, um, they're, they're troubled. And so the question for us, though, is why did these wise men show up from so far away? Why did they come from so far away? And the answer to this question, again, I think it'll amaze you. These wise men show up because one man brought his faith To work. One man brought his faith to work 600 years before, so not 800 miles, that's the length, but 600 years, talking about time now, before this first Christmas, there was a man named Daniel. And Daniel was captured in Jerusalem, ironically. He was captured in Jerusalem and he was exiled to Babylon. The Babylonians came and ransacked the nation of Israel, destroyed the capital, destroyed the temple, and they kidnapped the people and exiled them back to Babylon. And back then, one of the ways to conquer a nation um, in a way so that it would not pose any further threat was they would take its upcoming leaders and assimilate them into the culture so that their old culture would be gone and sort of swallowed up um, and the nation's previous identity would evaporate right so the idea is hey I know we're going to give you a bunch of cool stuff and we're going to entertain you in a bunch of cool ways and you're going to forget the things that are really important to you because now we're just going to throw images and messages at you all day long all week long all year long I'm sure you can't relate to this at all right I'm sure you can't relate to this at all but that's what they did and this is how you grow an empire and remove threats of rebellion. And so Daniel was one of these men that were brought in to assimilate into the Babylonian culture. Okay, this is what happened 600 years prior. What's funny, though, funny in a, an ironic kind of way, is that 600 years after Daniel was exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon, instead of destroying Jerusalem, now the descendants of Babylon are coming to Jerusalem to hail the newborn king. How could this have happened? How could this incredible reversal have happened? Will the wise man come because one man brought his faith to work? Again, during this Christmas season, we've been looking at how Christmas highlights the five values of our church. And our values, the things that we value as Harbor City Church are the things that we think are most important to us in order to bring the blessings of God into our lives and into the city. There are five things that we think are most important, and we're showing how Christmas highlights these values, how Christmas emphasizes these things in a powerful way so that you can know these things and live by them. Okay, And we've seen that we are gospel-centered, right? that Christmas teaches us the story of the gospel Um, We've seen that we are growing in community, and we're living on mission. And today, these magi teach us uh, to be city positive. Okay, the magi teach us this incredible value of being city positive. And here's some of the definition of city positive from our website. City positive means that God loves people and cities. Okay, God loves the world. Like the world, it's not just the people, but he loves the world. So he loves people and cities, and we celebrate and serve our city and seek to renew it. Okay, This is the language of being city positive. And we want to renew the city spiritually by sharing our faith. Then we want to renew the city socially and culturally by showing our faith. It's showing the gospel and sharing it. Like That's the key to being city positive, showing the gospel and sharing it, and then more. Um, we see and celebrate what's right with our city and we seek to heal what's wrong with it. Okay, again, this is just what it means to be city positive. So I'm going to bring something back that we saw a little while ago. City positive means that we are not against the city because that's being unloving, right? We're not above the city as though we're better than them or those folks out there. Um, We're also not assimilated to the city, where we're just identical to the city, and there's no difference between us and them. And we're not apart from the city. And there are different ways that different churches can kind of get this wrong. Some churches are against the city. Some churches act like they're above the city. Some churches really end up assimilated to the city, and some are just apart from the city. And in all these ways, we are trying not to be those things. That's not what it means to be city positive. Instead, we are for San Diego. And its people. Being city positive means we are for the city. So, again, what does it mean to be for San Diego and its people? We get a clear picture of this from Jeremiah chapter 29. Again, these are verses that we've seen recently because they're so vital to what it means to be city positive. Jeremiah 29, verses 7 and 11. This is Jeremiah talking to the people of Israel who have been captured and brought to Babylon. Okay? been captured and brought to Babylon. And while they're there, Jeremiah tells them, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so this is the attitude or the perspective of being city positive positive. And so again, it means that when we look at the city, we celebrate what's good and we work to renew and heal what's bad. That's what it means to be city positive. And, and this, friends, this is the perspective that Daniel took with him into work. Okay? This is the perspective that Daniel had about his work and about the city where he lived. Daniel lived out this mission that Jeremiah gave the people of Israel. In his work, he sought the welfare of the city. He sought to be a blessing to people and to the city. And you can read about this. You can read the book of Daniel, and you can see the power of his indestructible life because that's what it is. I'm sure that on their months-long journey, the Magi as they were coming, they would have been remembering and retelling the stories from Daniel's life that were the reason why they came. You know, as they're marching through the desert across 800 miles, um, maybe one of them would have said, hey, yeah, you remember that time that Daniel actually turned down the chance to eat the delicacies of the king's table? Hey, you remember that? Like instead he stood up for what he believed and he ended up healthier than anyone else in the king's court. And everyone ended up having to eat what Daniel was eating. Remember that? Or hey, you remember the time when the king was going to kill all of us wise men? Because he demanded not only that we were having to not just interpret his dream, but we were going to have to tell him what his dream was before we interpreted it. Remember that? He was going to kill us all. And then Daniel came, and he went to the king. And because of his God, he didn't just interpret the dream, but he told the king what he dreamed before he interpreted it. And do you remember how Daniel then not just saved himself, but saved all of us? And another one might have said, hey, you, well, then you remember the time when, um, when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions? Do you remember the time when our ancestors conspired against him to see him dead? Uh, and we trapped him, and he was thrown into a den of lions. But then his God closed the mouth of the mouths of those lions. And the wise men would have been traveling, and maybe there were some folks there who had just joined their entourage. And were like, what are we doing out here in the desert? Why are we doing this? The wise men would have said, "Why are we making this journey?" Well, because in Daniel's life, he cared for us. In Daniel's life, he blessed the city and the king and even the people who were against him. Because of his life, we began to read and to study what he had to say about the future. And we learned from reading his writings that he predicted that there was a king who was going to come. Daniel said that 483 years after Israel was allowed to go back into their land a king would come. And so we've been watching and waiting for that day. We've been waiting for 483 years. For 20 generations, we have been passing this, Daniel's writings down from father to son, from mother to daughter. For 20 generations, we have been passing down Daniel's writings because of his life we finally saw the star finally we knew it was coming because we've been counting down the years and we finally saw it this is why we've come it's because so long ago Daniel renewed our city so long ago this one man showed up and brought his faith to work and that's why we're here now He's the Magi. This is why they've come. This is the power of Daniel's life and his faith at work. This is Daniel, the powerful testimony of being city positive in your work. Because Daniel celebrated what was good and he worked to renew and heal what was bad. And so for us, Being city positive, it means us being like Daniel in our work. So it could be literally the workplace that we go. It could be at home, if you work at home in a business or if you take care of the home. If you're a student, it could be your work at school. But it's seeing your work through these city positive lenses because if you are like Daniel God will use you to impact your coworkers and your customers like Daniel impacted the Magi Another way to describe city positive <clears throat> James Hunter says it's faithful presence it means being present in the city right it means showing up we are present We're not just punching a clock, but we're there, and we are present, body and soul. We are present there for our work. We're present there for people. And we're faithful. We're faithful to honor God and to care about people. This idea of faithful presence, I mean, this is what characterized Daniel's life. And isn't this exactly what Christmas is about? Isn't this exactly what the incarnation is. Christmas is about God for us. Christmas is about God celebrating what is good and then coming to heal and renew what is bad. It's Jesus' faithful presence that is even greater than Daniel's. Right? His faithful presence had an even bigger impact on people because Jesus came not just to live for us, but Jesus came to die for us. Right? There are things that Daniel could try to seek to, like, to turn and to steer in a different direction, but Jesus came to take our sins, to suffer for them so that we would be forgiven and set free. Jesus was for us both in his life and in his death. And in his resurrection, his love then sets us free and it makes us want to love others. And this is Christmas. This is the thrill of hope. This is the renewal of your heart and your mind that is punctuated by the power of God's presence. (laughs) Um, This is a renewal that begins to shift things inside of us, that begins to make us see things a little bit differently when we walk into work. And so we have a Harbor City story uh, that I want to share with you. This is a story of a couple that is beginning to grasp elements of what it means to be city positive at work. And as I show you this, I want you to know that this couple was was very quick to say that they feel like they're just getting started. Right? They're excited about being city positive, but they feel like they're just beginning to scratch the surface of what it means to be city positive at work. So let's watch this together.
1: So I think before Harbor, um, I had this tendency to compartmentalize um, just being a church member or a churchgoer from my work, and I didn't really give it much thought. You um, know who I was at work, and I certainly didn't see any opportunity um, to reflect my church um, or sort of mesh my church world um, and my identity in Christ with my job. People that come into to my office, they want something more than just a legal problem solved. So much of the time, and I think it's um, a really sort of unique opportunity to stand alongside them as they face uh, a problem. And the problem can be really complex and can uh, sort of involve every part of their life. And they're seeking more than just a lawyer. They're seeking someone to step alongside them and, and face life's challenges with them. I think more recently, uh, Harbor has really made me think more about what it means to be um, just a representative of the church and of Christ. And it's open doors to serve my coworkers and clients and just people I come into contact with on a daily basis at work and show them, hopefully, a little bit of the gospel um, or just to have some sort of impact on on their lives.
2: I've been really excited about the value of being city positive because I feel like so much of the time the church is kind of, I don't know, like a shelter from the world. And I think Harbor is that, but it's also a place where people also, like we love the world and the people in it. And it's encouraged me to go out and um, just love the people in my life. And I think I have a unique work situation and being a paralegal part-time and teaching Pilates. and. I really believe Pilates is my passion, and God is just giving me opportunities to pursue that lately. Um, And I love that because I see so many people who suffer in their lives, whether it's just their lives are stressful and busy, and Pilates is a place they can come and relax and manage their stress, or they have physical problems like back problems or headaches or something more serious like recovering from an injury or maybe managing. A condition, and um, I just think that where there's suffering, there's also a place for um, healing, and so I hope that in teaching Pilates, I can offer that to my clients, and also just be an encouragement um, to help people feel good in their bodies, so that they can live their lives to the best of their abilities. I mean, I know just having pain in your body or suffering with health problems can cause a lot of discomfort and stress and I mean just suffering like it, that's how you feel constantly and um, I just think our bodies are capable of so much and um, just that God wants us to take care of our bodies and when we feel good in our bodies we can take the focus off that and go out and love other people.
1: Yeah one analogy that that's really um, resonated with me lately is uh Is from one of Stephen's recent sermons, um, just as how the church is a harbor and a place of refuge for people as opposed to being this fortress where people go and hide from the city and not engage people. And the way that's impacted my work is, I think it's just made me a lot more willing to seek out opportunities to show who I am and be a reflection of the church and um, try to share um, or represent the gospel to people.
2: I feel like it also makes it so much more exciting when it's kind of, I don't know, it takes the pressure focus off of just being, like, I want to be the best instructor and I want to be known for myself, or he wants to be the best attorney and get this promotion and make partner. Like, it takes the focus off of that and onto something that's more eternal, and that's a lot more exciting.
0: And again, like, it can begin at work with just understanding that what you do serves other people. Right? That, that your work itself provides a good or a service that can be a blessing to others. Right? And to think about your work that way. Uh, I mean, that's just one way that it can begin when you bring your faith to work. Um, I read this this week. It was a an article about Andrew Luck. He's the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. Good athlete. He's been a pretty successful quarterback since he's been in the league. And here's what the article said. It said, um, quarterback Andrew Luck has started to confound pass rushers, not by his impressive play, but by congratulating defenders for their hard hits. Luck has become known to dole out a nice play buddy or a good hit kudos almost as often as he finds wide-open receivers down the field. Quote from a linebacker uh, on the Redskins. He said, in all the years I've played football, I have never heard anything like it, nothing even close. So what's happening is that Andrew Luck, when he gets sacked, or if he doesn't get sacked but he gets hit hard by a, a a member of the defense, they crush him, he gets up and he says, hey, nice job. Way to go, nice hit. Hey, you got me, nice one. And this is what he's doing. And they can't figure it out. Several players told the newspaper that whether intentional or not, Luck's good guy act has gotten into their heads. Quote from a defensive back. I'm like, what's going on? Aren't you supposed to be mad? So then I'm the one who gets ticked off because an upbeat attitude isn't something that you see. And those who know Luck say his unfailing affability isn't an act. They're saying, like, this is just who he is. His idea of trash talk is complimenting people, said another linebacker who was also Luck's college teammate at Stanford. And so here you have a, a quarterback in the NFL who's, and I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I'm not sure. I, didn't, I actually didn't chase that down. But I thought, like, this is a really good example of, of looking to be a renewing influence in the workplace, right, in the way they should treat other people. Um, and I just thought this is a great example of the kinds of things that people who have been so moved because God has come near to them, that they would act in these different ways. Um, that they would see not just an opportunity to make money, but they would see an opportunity to serve. You know, that they would see not just a um, job that has to get done, but to see people who need to be developed and cared for. Right, people who care about the culture of the of the workplace where they are and want to do what they can, right, to make it better. Um, just to uh, itemize the things that Daniel did and um, City Positive work. Number one, Daniel's work demonstrated excellence. So, if you read the Book of Daniel in chapter one, it says he was. He got it. He was smarter. He was brighter. He was more helpful. Um, he excelled. So he was excellent in his work. Two, Daniel worked to bless others. Like he was there to serve. And then three, when good things came, Daniel gave God the credit. Over and over and over again, Daniel made it clear. I mean, he, when, when the whole thing happened with the dream and the interpretation, Daniel said, look, I can't do anything for you, but my God knows everything. So clearly and consistently, Daniel showed others that his success was from God's power, not his own. And Daniel's co-workers saw all of this, and they followed him. They followed him, and his influence lasted again for 600 years. Not only did people admire Daniel, but they followed his God, so much so that when Jesus was born, they traveled hundreds of miles to worship him. So this God that Daniel served, Daniel said that he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And these wise men, these wise men came to worship. This is the result of a city-positive view of our work. What happens when you do this as you follow daniel as you integrate your faith with your work as you bring your faith to work even tomorrow morning you end up finding the words that jacob says in genesis 28 to come true jacob woke up had a dream in this place that he felt like was sort of the the end of the road for him and he woke up and he said surely god is in this place and i didn't know it friends god is in your workplace He's there. He's been there. You might not have known it. Your work can be a star that brightly shines so that others are drawn to Christmas. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Your life can be a brightly shining star. What will God do through you if you can shine your light at work. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that underneath these enigmatic, cryptic, mysterious magi, these wise men from the east, there is a glorious story. There's a glorious story of a changed life, a life that is filled with you, satisfied by you, and so it's free to serve. Jesus, we want this life. We want this life of Daniel. We want to emulate him in every way we can. Jesus, we want to be so filled by you, so satisfied by you, that when we show up to work, we're there to serve. Would you give us wisdom in this? Would you make us men and women of wisdom who can bring our faith to work? Help us to do work with excellence because it's a reflection on you. Help us to do our work in a way that serves others. And Lord, please help us to give you credit when things go well. Let our lives be a brightly shining star so that the people that we work with Would see that there's hope. Would see that there's life that's in you. And they'd be drawn to Jesus. Let that happen these next few days before Christmas and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.